0: Hello everyone, welcome to the Stairway to CEO podcast brought to you by Future Commerce. I'm your host, Lee Green, and it's my mission to bring you a real, honest, and unfiltered interview with top business leaders from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome to episode 40 of the Stairway to CEO podcast. I'm your host, Lee Green, and today I sat down with Sarah Landman, the CEO of Solid and Striped. Founded in 2012, Solid and Striped is a cult favorite lifestyle brand that creates timeless swim and resort wear pieces that evoke a feeling of vacation and leisure. In this episode, Sarah shares with us her journey from growing up on the mainline of Pennsylvania with four brothers, to her experience in working with Tory Burch for over 10 years, to landing her first CEO role as the CEO of Solid & Striped. She talks with us about her leadership style, the importance of being approachable, and how she thinks about accountability. Tune in to hear all of this and more if you like what you hear. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us an awesome review. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi Sarah, thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm super excited to hear your amazing career journey and how you became CEO of Solid and Striped. Thanks for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. So let's start from where are you from? You know, tell us about your childhood, your parents, what did they do? How many siblings did you have? Stuff like that.
1: Yeah. So, um, I grew up outside of Philadelphia on the main line, I actually have four brothers. I'm, I'm the only girl. And my parents growing up, so my mother was a teacher, um, took some time off to really help raise the kids, um, and then later in life pursued interior design um and is doing that now. My father is an investor, um, has always been involved in real estate, but also investing in uh entrepreneurs actually and small businesses um so yes that's awesome. sort of where I came from so where are you from on the main line so uh most recently Haverford I, I grew up um between Wayne Pennsylvania mm-hmm. and
0: Haverford I have family in Radnor and Bryn Mawr, so I'm, I'm oh, kind nowhere. of familiar I'm from Delaware okay. so east coast you know I'm definitely familiar with that area awesome sure. So how long did you kind of live there? Was that your, all of your childhood? Is your family still there today? Yeah, so my family's still there today. Um, I was
1: actually born in Florida, but moved to the main line when I was four. So I uh, spent the majority of my childhood there and my family's still there. So I go back and visit often.
0: And with four brothers being the only girl, you know, how was that? And what did you want to be when you grew up?
1: So, you know, it's funny, it's... I I don't know anything else, but I love having brothers. I love being the only girl. Uh, It definitely has its perks. Um, I wouldn't say I was a girly girl actually, but I would say I, I always was interested in fashion. Um, and I knew that that was something that I wanted to pursue from a very early age. Actually, my mom just found a bunch of my drawings and stories from when I was little and they all talk about, you know, fancy dresses and models. And (laughs) it's actually fascinating to read from, from such an early age. I really did have an interest.
0: That's really cute. So you wanted to do something probably in fashion, but you weren't really sure when you were little, I guess. Exactly. And so what was one of the most challenging things for you as a kid? Was it growing up with four brothers or was there something else there?
1: You know, my, my parents are divorced. So on a personal level, I, I think that was a challenge. They, lived very close to each other, still do. And I'm incredibly close with my family, incredibly close with both of them, but sort of managing and balancing, you know, going back and forth. And that part of my life was, was a challenge, but one that I think has really helped define me and um, is partially why I can juggle so many things.
0: Yeah, definitely. How old were you when they got divorced? Six. Oh, super young. Yeah. So
1: it's kind of what, what
0: I know. Yeah, definitely. So you you know, did you play any sports in school? And let's talk about kind of high school. What was your high school experience like? So
1: I was always probably social before being a student, if I'm completely honest. Um, I did play sports. I played field hockey. I played lacrosse for a bit. Um, but I wasn't an athlete. I left that to one of my brothers, who was a great athlete. Um, and hopefully I, I have two boys who are really into sports now. So I, I love the idea of it. I, I didn't have the natural ability, um, but I loved being social and uh, I love my friends. And um, yeah, I wouldn't say that I was the most stellar student. I think that came later in life. I think in college, I really understood the importance of studying and you know, doing well and succeeding. But where did you happened. go to college?
0: GW in Washington, D.C. All right. So what made you kind of switch from being a not so good student in high school or not really caring to, hey, maybe I'll pay attention in class, in college? Great question. I think um,
1: I think I started to really look at my future and where I wanted to be. Um, I always knew I wanted a career. It was something that I, I really admired in, in, you know, certain women that I was surrounded by. And I think something just clicked probably my sophomore year of college where I realized, hey, I better do well and actually, you know, try to network and, and um, get good internships and all of that I thought was dependent on sort of doing well in college. So I guess somewhere somewhere around that time, something just clicked.
0: What were some of your first jobs, whether it was in high school or college? Like, where were you working really early days?
1: So really early days, I actually had a job in retail at a store um, on the main line that doesn't exist anymore. But again, just really into clothes and fashion. And so that was something that interested me.
0: So where was it, actually? I'm curious. Was it just like a small boutique or was it like a... Chain of stories.
1: Yeah, it was a small boutique. It was Mm -hmm. in Eagle, um, Eagle Village. um, God, I'm forgetting the name. So embarrassing. (laughs) It'll come to me later. But I was really young. Um, So that was in retail. And then I actually had my first internship after my freshman year of college at Hugo Boss as um, a men's wholesale intern, which was really sort of my first real experience in the industry. Nice.
0: And how was that? Were you like, this is kind of what I want to do? Get into uh, the fashion business? It was really
1: exciting. I mean, i don't I don't think I pictured myself in men specifically, so that was different. But I sort of wanted to take anything that I could get. Um, at the time, Hugo Boss was an amazing business. The offices were beautiful. They were in this um, is it the Starlight Building on the West Side in Chelsea, where Martha yeah. Stewart was located, and so it was definitely sort of that idealized first internship where, um, you know, I, I really sort of got a taste of what the fashion industry in New York city was. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it, it helped define a little bit of, of what I was looking for next. So I knew after that internship that men's was not an area that I was particular, particularly interested in pursuing, but that,
0: you know, the industry was right for me. Awesome. So that was when you were a freshman. Did you work while you were, you know, full-time student or did you have an internship the following year as well? Yeah, so I actually interned at Hugo Boss for two years. Um,
1: and then the third year, so the summer after my junior year of college, I wanted to move on and do something else with with a new company, gain a new experience, um, and had gotten wind that Tory Burch was starting a business. Um, she's from the main line and I was familiar with her just, um, you know, not through, obviously she didn't have a business yet, but actually just through growing up on the main line. Um, and she had offered me an internship and I remember thinking that, you know, I wanted my career to be taken seriously. I thought maybe I needed to go through the Bloomingdale's buying program and get a a real structured sort of internship between my last years, uh-huh. um, but I was studying abroad in London at the time and didn't have the opportunity to really do the interviews that I needed to, and so ended up interning for Tori that first, uh, sorry, that my my third year, so after my junior year, between my junior and senior year of college, and she was still working out of her apartment. There were three employees at the time. She had just opened her store on Elizabeth Street and hadn't officially launched wholesale yet. And I really never expected it to be anything, you know, with staying power, to be honest. At the time, there were a lot of celebrities and socialites sort of launching brands. um, And I was worried that it wouldn't be something that lasted. And after going through the summer interning for her, it was so clear that this was something different and that it would absolutely last and did have staying power and just sort of the passion that she had for her business and how much people respected her was, um, really amazing. And so that was definitely a turning point for me. Um, and, and I went on to work for her full time after I graduated. That's really where I started and where I, I like to say I got my real education. Um, yeah, but yeah, so that last internship was, was definitely pivotal for
0: me. What year was that actually? remember when you first started. Was, oh, three. Oh, three. Okay. Cause this is funny. So, cause you were still, you were there for many years. I actually, I think it was like 2006. I want to say when she had one of her first fashion shows, it was like a presentation on a roof of some building. <laughs> okay. I was a model in that show. No way. <laughs> yeah. And I remember no. it was the time when the sh- the slipper shoes with her logo on it were like super hot. I mean, they, she just came out and I remember getting a pair. Um, I think I got a, something else like some white pants and some other things for being in her show. Right. And so wow. I got some credit for her store on Elizabeth. I went shopping down there and I got the, the shoes in gold, but I'll never forget that, Show for some reason I don't know why it stuck in my head. She was oh, getting God. a lot of press and things were really cooking for her at that time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, it was wild. I mean, it grew. It was it was explosive and and still kind of is, but definitely in the early days and so so exciting to be part of. But I remember those Riva ballet flats that you're talking yeah. about. It's not actually what she launched the business with. She launched the business with Ready To Wear, but people really associate her with that shoe mm-hmm. and that really put her on the map. Um, And I remember being in, you know, my, the early days of my career and all of my friends were asking, can I help them get, get a pair and you couldn't get them anywhere. And it was just like the hottest thing. So yes, they really
0: were. And they were shockingly very comfortable too. Yes, Roaming around New York city in those for a few years though. They were great.
1: (laughs) Free the sneaker craze. That was sort of the thing.
0: Yeah, exactly. It was the gold plate and the logo. I mean, yeah. That was pretty cool. So what was your first role when you first started first time and kind of walk us through, you know, the the next couple of years working with Tori? Yeah.
1: So after I finished my internship, um, she was still working out of her apartment. Things were still small, but it was very clear to me that it was going somewhere big. Um, and that spring she was on Oprah. And I remember thinking, Oh, wow, this is really getting, this is, this is going to scale quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I graduated, I started as a sales assistant just on the wholesale team. And at that point they had just moved to their first office. And I think maybe we were, we were 10 people at most. Um, but I was assisting with wholesale accounts, um, which was new for, for Tori. So that was where I started. And then I sort of, um, grew and, and, um, I ended up working in a variety of divisions. So I stayed with Wholesale for a couple of years, ultimately becoming, I think, a senior account executive, but my passion was always product. Um, And so I really just wanted to follow where the product and the merchandising roles were. So Wholesale was a priority when I joined the team and that was really the team that oversaw the merchant role and worked with design and production and tory and then once direct consumer actually became a bigger priority for the business and we started opening stores and really focusing on the site that function shifted from wholesale to retail and so i moved with it and i became a retail buyer and that was really fascinating because i was able to you know learn a new skill in managing open to buy um, and planning and all of the things that I hadn't previously learned in my wholesale role. But I also learned about the global business and how, you know, Asia and Europe differed from the States, from the domestic market. And um, it was a really, really great learning experience. And then ultimately, a couple years later, the business continued to grow and we realized that we really needed a separate merchandising division. So I helped form that division. Um, and, and that was a really exciting time for me because I could really focus solely on product at that point. Um, and that's where I spent the majority of my time with Tori. I was with the company for over 10 years. Um, and ultimately that was, that was the most exciting part, really focusing on the product, working with design and production, um, and, you know, sort of being the middleman between wholesale and retail. And so yeah. that was, that was sort of my time at Tory.
0: That's awesome. And so during that time, what were some of the biggest kind of challenges or even mistakes that you made along the way? And what were some of those key takeaways that you learned?
1: So. I'm sure there are so many, so many mistakes I made early in my career. Um, I think that, um, I think that, you know, what, what comes to mind most, um, towards the end of my time at Tory, I had, I have two sons, um, and I had my second sort of a year, I guess it was a year before leaving Tory, um, and just sort of thinking that, that there were limitations and that you couldn't really successfully balance work and home. Um, so I think that sort of having those doubts and, um, and maybe not pushing myself at the end as much as now I realize I probably could have. I do think that, you know, by the time I left, it was a really organic time for me to go. I had done so much there and it was just sort of the right time. Um, but I think that, sort of l- limiting yourself in that way. It's amazing how much you can actually take on and, and how you can compartmentalize and you know no one can do it all perfectly. Um, but you can do a lot more than, than you think you can.
0: Hey guys, I want to tell you a little bit about a new report we're launching here at Future Commerce in partnership with Gladly called The New DIY. It's all about the new trend that has emerged around the passion economy and modern consumption, which begins with peer inspiration, continues with product education, and culminates into participation or an online purchase. The report covers how these trends start on social media, the importance of great customer experience across all brands regardless of industry and the implications this trend has on retailers. You can get the full report today over at futurecommerce.fm slash the new DIY. That's futurecommerce.fm slash the new DIY. Is there ever a moment where you had to go into, you know, Tori's office and be like, I've got to tell you where that I messed up on something? <laughs> you know, like is there any moments where you were just had to you did something really bad or wrong by accident and you had to confess that it was your fault or is there any kind of moment like that and and how did she respond?
1: Oh, I'm sure, and I wish I could think of a specific example. Probably something related to you know standing behind a particular product or print or something that I really believed in that didn't end up checking in the end. I can't think of a specific example, but I would say uh, mistakes happen often. I think that Tori is so wonderful and sort of, um, there was never a moment where I felt like, you know, she was that big, bad, scary boss. She was very approachable and easy to talk to. So that made things, things easier for sure. I also think it helped sort of set the path for where I went next in my career and where I am now, and just really understanding the importance of culture and being approachable and, you know, making sure that your team feels comfortable talking to you and admitting when they make mistakes, because everyone does.
0: Absolutely. And being approachable is super important. Um, in terms of leadership style, what other what other things did you kind of take from that experience and seeing the way that Tori was as a leader and what did you kind of also take in addition to that with you as in your roles? Yeah, I mean, it, it was so incredibly influential
1: to me. My time there on so many levels. I think as a leader, you know, one of the things that I admired at the time and still admire is her ability to balance work and life and and sort of do do it all. Um, but also really emphasizing culture and how important culture in the workplace is. She really invested time, energy, and and money in making sure that the company culture was was paramount and was, you know, something that was really important to her and and that everyone knew that it was important to her. And that really makes a difference. I think, you know, what I realized then is if you invest in your people, it doesn't have to be from a monetary perspective, but if you really make them feel like you love working with them and that that you want them there, it just makes a big difference um, in the end result and what you're trying to achieve.
0: Absolutely. And so after your time with Tory Birch, you know, when did you kind of feel like it was right, re- like ending or you were ready to move on? And what did you do next? Yeah,
1: so I after over 10 years, I, I had my two kids, I felt like maybe it was time for a change. I, I did think that maybe I wanted to spend a little bit more time with them at home. They were really little. We live in New York City. We were applying to schools and you know trying to make big life decisions. Um, so I thought I was—I I thought I wanted to take a little bit of time off and focus on on my family. Um, I learned very quickly that my career was such a big part of my identity, and I missed it so much almost immediately. Um, so after leaving Tory, I ended up consulting for a few brands, um, and I started my own consulting company. I consulted for DVF. Um, Alexander Wang. And then at the end of sort of my consulting gig, I um, I reconnected with Chris Birch, who's obviously Tori's ex-husband and someone that I remained close with um, as well as Tori. And Chris has um, a venture business. He invests primarily in consumer goods and retail. And so when I was consulting on the merchandising side of things, I wanted to connect with him because I thought he might be able to put me in touch with some of his portfolio brands um, who might need consulting support. Um, and we ended up talking and he was sort of in the process of trying to set up a new women's wear concept startup. And he had a few other interesting things going on on the tech side of things um, and asked me to come consult for him instead of really connecting me to some of the brands that I had originally hoped for. Um, That ended up being wonderful. I learned so much more from the investment side of things and, you know, sort of what he's looking for in brands that he invests in and helped him in the initial phase of this startup that he was working on. But um, in the midst of all of that, he had connected me with Isaac Ross, who's the founder of Solid and Striped. I was such a big fan of Solid and striped. Uh, personally, and Isaac had needed some support, so I just as sort of an informal thing was helping helping him occasionally. Um, and then they they decided that they really needed to bring on a CEO, and so my work with Birch Creative Capital and Chris sort of ended there, and I went on to pursue this opportunity.
0: That's awesome. And so, how did the how did those conversations start? And you know. walk us through, I think, that transition and and becoming CEO and, and working with the founder.
1: Yeah. So I think it was, it was really natural. You know, I, I had worked with Isaac, um, in sort of an informal capacity, just sort of giving my opinion on merchandising product process. Um, and so I think that that sort of allowed us to, Um, transition into a full-time role a little bit easier than if he had just been interviewing me and and hadn't worked with me in the past. Um, So that was sort of a a nice sort of segue into my my role as CEO at the company. Um, The board had also interviewed me and um, it sort of just Worked out, You know, I think that what the brand was lacking was exactly sort of what I was focused on in my past. So Isaac is an amazing uh, marketer and he's great with branding, but you know, he, he'll be the first to tell you that he doesn't know uh, what women want in a bathing suit necessarily. So while he's a great visionary on the branding side, he really needed someone who could, you know, sort of architect the line, deliver line plans to design um and sort of evolve the business into just a women's swim brand into something more lifestyle uh which is what we're trying to do now and and what I've been really excited to work on
0: that's awesome what are some of the other kind of complementary skill sets that you know that were your strengths and kind of is what led you to the CEO title. you know cuz I'm imagining like they have all these maybe different ways to bring someone like you in why CEO and 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 what were, you know, I guess some of the reasons there in your skill set. Yeah,
1: so I think that um Aside from being focused on product and merchandising, culture is another thing that we talked about briefly, but that's something that I'm I'm really focused on and something that's been really important to me. Um, that was another real need in the organization. And mm-hmm. then also process. So we're still a startup. Um, I certainly don't consider us a big organization, but I think that at the time that I joined, we were a true startup in the sense that there was no process. Um, and that was something that the business really needed um, so there were a lot of great ideas yeah that had no strategy behind them so they didn't really end up driving the business that they should have um, and so i think that when isaac and i met we realized well there are all these amazing ideas floating out there had they just had alignment from the whole organization and a strategy you know a sales strategy a marketing pr strategy all of those things they could have really been tremendous Um, and so that, that was sort of, um, why I think there was such synergy and, and what, what made us realize that this, this
0: worked. Yeah, absolutely. That's really interesting. So when you were kind of talked about the transition, so now you're, you're CEO and you've got this team now and you probably have to build and make some new hires. Can you talk about kind of your first couple months as CEO?
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, this is my first CEO role. And um, it was definitely a learning experience. You know, here I was coming into an organization that I hadn't built with a team that I hadn't hired. um, And I didn't want to completely disrupt everything and change everything. I sort of wanted to be respectful to what had been built previously, but I knew that I needed to make an impact and change a lot of what wasn't working. Um, So I think the first few months was definitely a lot of listening and uh, you know absorbing what was going on around me and sort of understanding where we could start you know what were the most critical areas that needed to change um and it was it was a bit unique because covid hit 5 months into into me joining so i think there were a lot of changes that were starting to happen and then and then we got sort of hit with this crazy pandemic and and life as we knew it completely changed. So that definitely added um, a challenge that we didn't expect or that I didn't expect. Um, but we did make some great hires before that and have since. Um, and I think that that's really another thing that I've I've um, I've been pretty good at, I guess, you know, surrounding myself and hiring the right team. I realize how important that is, and I'm certainly not an expert at everything. But I think that if I can make the right hires um, and build a team of people that are experts in their in their divisions or or their sort of competencies, that we all work well together.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine that five months into getting this like first time CEO role. And then all of a sudden a global pandemic just like hits the fan. (laughs) I just like, my God, you know how, so can you talk about kind of how you kind of manage that and and how COVID affected the business?
1: Yeah. I mean, manage is a nice way to put it. (laughs) I think, um, no, I think we have an amazing team and thank God everyone is resilient and um, and we learned so much through this process. You know, we quickly realized that we needed to make certain changes in the organization to sort of survive. We were in this survival mode and how do we... Um, how do we work with a leaner team remotely and continue to work through some of the objectives that we had set out to work on this year? Um, So uh, in terms of managing it, you know, it was a day by day thing. I think everyone was in a similar boat and every day brought a new challenge. And I think one thing that we realized early on is that we were very fortunate that our business was swimwear because COVID hit in March, we were sort of going into our seasonality. So we certainly took a hit and, and felt it in the beginning. But as time went on, we realized that especially our econ business our direct business um, was not quite as disturbed as we thought it would be, um, which was a, a bright spot for sure. And so I think that that was fortunate for us.
0: Absolutely. And how much of a retail kind of presence did you have kind of before and after COVID? So our wholesale business historically
1: was, I guess, two years ago, our wholesale business was 70% of the business. Um, When I joined, it was about 60. And part of what I was trying to do pre-COVID was you know, e- grow DTC. Um, and so that continued to be an initiative and it sort of gave us a, a push <laughs> earlier than expected. And, yeah. um, you know, wholesale as a space is, is still feeling the challenge of COVID. I think that our e business, and we had opened a store actually the first week of March, our first brick and mortar store in New York. Um, you know, those have actually been highlights for us, e and the New York store, which sadly, we had to shut just weeks after opening the doors, um, has been tremendous this year. I mean, it's, it's really amazing and a true testament to New York being our biggest market and really having a loyal customer
0: and following. Man, it sounds like a tough <laughs> ride. You just are like thrown things one after the next. <laughs> so you have this retail store that just opened out as to close. That's a lot. That's a lot to go through. Um, what were some, (laughs) what were some of the things that kept you going? You know, of course, like team and, and stuff like that, but do you have anything from a personal perspective that you do to help you stay balanced and positive or motivated every day? Is there like a morning routine you have?
1: I wish I could say meditate every morning, I do yoga every morning. I I try. I mean, I think the biggest motivation is my family, for sure. My kids seeing their mom go to work every day, even, you know, while trying to sort of figure out the homeschool thing in the early days of COVID, that was really motivational for me. And, and, you know, just showing them that you have to persevere. And if you believe in something, you have to continue to work at it. Um, And so that was, definitely, definitely something influential during this whole time. Um, the team I can't I can't um, I can't not mention the team because they were fantastic and resilient. Um, but in terms of personal routine, I do try to stretch, I do try to do some yoga, I do try to meditate but but I, I can't say that I do it every day.
0: What about eating habits working out? Do you do yoga, anything like that? Yeah. So I,
1: again, I try to, I try to stay active and I have these two young boys that keep me pretty active naturally. Um, but if I could, I would do Pilates is my choice, my exercise of choice. If I could, I would do it every day. I had a great studio in in New York before COVID and that was sort of me time a few times a week. And so that I, I really miss, and I've tried to do it on my own a bit. Um, And then yoga, I have, um, my sister-in-law is a yoga instructor and lives in Philadelphia. So occasionally that would be something
0: that I was
1: able to do remotely while there.
0: That's cool. And so, you know, growing a business involves a lot of professional and personal growth. How have you grown personally as a leader? It's a great question. I think
1: I realized that you can't do it all and that you have to delegate and that you have to trust the people that you work with, you also have to hold them accountable. And I think one thing as a leader, it's very important to connect with your employees and your team members on a personal level and have compassion, but you also have to hold them accountable, right? And so you can't be everyone's best friend all the time. And that's not necessarily the most popular path, but Mm -hmm. it is the most necessary. And so that I think I've, I've really learned, especially while working remotely, because, you know, you have to figure out a way to hold people accountable, but not be in the same room with them and not know what they're doing all the time.
0: Mm -hmm. So how do you do that?
1: You know, I think that after how many months has it been now? 10 months of of working on and off remote. Um, We have a great system and, you know, we have, Weekly touch bases. I have one-on-one touch bases with all of my department heads weekly, but we also have team meetings almost daily. And so, I think that that has been the most effective, but also deliverable. So, just defining deliverables and making sure that there are due dates and and people. You know, I'm not. I, I don't micromanage. That's not my style. And if you want to take lunch and be with your family, if you're working from home, you should do that. You know, if you're, if you deliver what you need to on time, I don't care how it, how it gets there and what, you know, what has to happen, but that's, that's what matters.
0: And so what's your process for when people don't do what they say they're going to do? So is there like a three strikes, you're out policy? Like what's your uh, method or what do you think is a good method? for those out there that are trying to, you know, hold their teams more accountable?
1: You know, it's a challenge. I think that there has to be some sort of, I I wouldn't say three strikes you're out, but there certainly needs to be conversations. Um, and because I have these weekly touch bases with my team and individual touch bases with, the department heads, I think it's the perfect opportunity to check in and, and talk about what's happening this week, what's happening this month. Have you met your goals? Are you on track to meet your goals? Um, and if there's a problem, then, you know, it's, it's not the most favorite conversation, but it has to happen then. And I think if you as a leader don't communicate that someone's missing something or not delivering, then you can't expect them to hold themselves accountable. So it is, it's not a three strikes, you're out, but there are certainly conversations. And if you don't sort of react and adjust, then the conversations continue to happen.
0: Right. And so what do you think is the biggest thing you've learned about being CEO? Like what does being a CEO mean to you?
1: it's a responsibility, right? It's, I have a tremendous responsibility to grow this company and a responsibility to the employees, to the shareholders um, and to our customers. And so I think in terms of what it means to me, it's, um, it's a tremendous opportunity, but it's also a lot of pressure and it's about delivering and sort of juggling and making sure that uh, you're pleasing you know your customer first your team and your, your investors
0: absolutely and so what about limiting beliefs you know i think we all have some sort of limiting beliefs creeping up sometimes saying are you sure you can do this are you sure you know how to do this what if you don't know what you're doing when you're CEO you know like what it, did you have any of these like silly doubt limiting beliefs going into this role or going into any throughout your career and what were they? course i always have doubts i mean i think that's just human nature um i think
1: anyone that tells you that they don't is lying yeah. um and certainly coming into this role i'm i'm a young female ceo and i had been consulting for a period of time so it wasn't sort of a natural progression but i knew that i had the right skill set and i also know that you learn every day you know mm-hmm. and i know that if you hire the right team that anything's possible. Um, so I do, I certainly have doubts. I did have doubts before taking the role. I had to really think long and hard about it, but I also know that you can't limit yourself. And if you believe in yourself, I mean, it's very cheesy, but anything's possible.
0: (laughs) Good to know. Yes, I agree. A little cheesy, but we've heard it before and it is true. (laughs) So how do you work to improve yourself so that you can best lead the company? You know, I think listening, and I think that
1: I am really open and honest with my team. I think transparency is, is so critical in a small business. Um, so I think that, you know, I, I encourage my team to give me feedback about how I lead and my management style. I encourage my investors also to give me feedback. And so I think listening is how I improve myself.
0: Absolutely. That's a great point. Um, and if you could change anything about your career journey, what would you have done differently? Huh?
1: I I have been so fulfilled with my journey. It's hard to, hard to say what I would have done differently. Um, you know, I think that the digital space is so critical right now. If, if I could have, I would have maybe worked in, in, more of a digital company before where I am now and just learned a little bit more about that. But I'm certainly Mm -hmm. learning on the job and had some past experience with it. So um, yeah, I think that would probably be something I'd I'd love to change.
0: And what's something you think most people don't know about being a CEO?
1: I think that people expect you to have all the answers. I think it's okay to not have all the answers.
0: Yeah. Was there ever a time where they were asking for an answer and you didn't have one and you had to, you know, admit guys, I just don't know the answer to this.
1: Sure. I mean, I think that working collaboratively with the team is, is part of that, right? So if, if there's some, if there's a decision that needs to be made and I don't have the answer, then I solicit advice from the team. Right. And so I think it's not about me saying, I don't know the answer to this question. It's more about, okay, we have, we have an option to go on path A or path B. What does everyone think we should do? Let's collectively have a discussion about it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So what's next for Solid and Striped? What's what's next are you guys working on and how's it going? Yeah, so the business has
1: evolved tremendously over the last couple of years. Um, we're working on so much, so much that I'm excited about. We recently launched a collaboration with Bandier, so our first activewear Capsule, um, and we are launching solid and stripes sport as an internal category in March. So that's really exciting. Um, awesome. From a category expansion standpoint, we launched beachwear in a more meaningful way this past year, and it's really grown tremendously. So it is now, uh, 30% of our business, whereas it was 10% when I joined. So that's really exciting and probably also a reflection of what's going on in the world. But I mm-hmm. think having the right product and serving it to the right people, which is something we've been working hard on. So Beachware slash ready to wear, um, Solid and Stripe Sport. We have a number of really exciting collaborations coming up. We're collaborating with Lily Sadui on visors, bucket hats, headbands. So that's a new category for us. We are collaborating with Sloane Stevens, who's a phenomenal female athlete, tennis player. Uh, she has a collection coming out with us this summer. And so that's really exciting as well. And then we continue to focus on sustainability. We're partnering with Freedom Moses, which is a great sandal brand. Um, yeah, so lots of, lots of really exciting collaborations and category extension.
0: That's awesome. Well, congrats again on your new role as CEO. And do you have any kind of final advice for anyone listening? Who's either, you know, aspiring executive or wants to be CEO one day? I think work hard. It pays off. I, you know, one
1: thing that we didn't talk about during uh, the questions about my early days at Tory was just this this idea that working harder than everyone else actually does does pay off. Um, and I often think about those early days, especially now when hiring, you know, young men and women who might not have the same work ethic. It really is so important, and expose yourself to as much as possible. I think that I was. In the right place at the right time at Tory, and was lucky enough to be exposed to all of these great business initiatives and, and departments. And in a big organization, I don't think I would have gotten that same experience. So I think you know, taking every opportunity and absorbing as much as you can.
0: Awesome! Thank you so much for sharing all of your awesome insights and advice. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you.